Welcome to The Iceman, a podcast sponsored by Tuned Up Custom Rods. Get closer, get louder. Get closer, get louder. Well, you were using your radio voice. I, I have a wonderful radio voice. Uh, yeah, I know. I love 105. W-J-J-Y Yeah Okay Alright, so introduction for me I am John Burback I grew up in White Bear Lake Very close to a very, very good fishing lake um, I still will say that to this day Wait, Are you talking about White Bear? White Bear's a yeah. good fishing lake It's like a Minnetonka of kind of the they north They call it the Minnetonka of the East Minnetonka of the Northeast It's a, it's a good metro lake Now Not when a, you were there, when you lived there was what was the water level like? The water level was normal. Okay. We'll we'll get on that topic we'll, yeah, later. We'll talk about that because that's I have a a very good theory about that. But Ooh, uh, I, I grew I grew up in White Bear, um, fished there all my life. Fished up in the Brainerd Lakes area. Um, in two thousand four, is when I started making fishing rods. With a good friend of mine, we kind of built them one at a time, um, just for. One-off purpose builds and stuff like that. Regular but rods or open water? Or? Open water rods only for a while. We got into making ice rods. We were kind of the, the forefront of the custom ice rod field. Mm. Um, we The first rods weren't solid. They're all hollow, and we figured that out really quickly, that hollow rods do not last. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> they blow up. Um, it's, that's a lesson that we're still learning in this industry, I think. Yes. Um, people think, oh, hollow rods are lighter. They're more durable. Well, there's some properties that the inside of the rod actually can develop moisture, freeze, and then the temperature swing can actually make the rod blow up. And they're also, if you step on them, which, they're, done. Which, they're done. But you can see why it would be something people would want, though. Yeah. Because I mean, they're way op- lighter. Open water rods are all hollow. Yeah. It works great when temperatures are not negative 50. Yeah. When it's negative 50, everything breaks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed building rods and then started selling them to friends and family and then kind of worked my way up um, as far as building higher-end builds and starting to actually have a inventory on hand. So through college, I built rods. To this was not even in college? No, this was in high school. 2004, was I was in high school. I... I <coughs> I couldn't even drive at that point. Um, 2004, I was married. Yeah, we're... <laughs> we're not the same age, I guess. We're not the same age. Okay. Um, so I used to drive out to Marine on the St. Croix and, and pick through blanks. And I really enjoyed just kind of finding that one gem in a pile of, of dirt. What's Marine on St. Croix? It was a small, small little rod building shop. Um, hmm. And the guy that owned it, Tom, it, it was like you'd walk into the shop and it was the old school feel you'd walk in and the whole shop smelled like old cigar smoke and he'd be sitting there talking to you and, and he just this gruff voice and he was never very friendly until you started spending money and then he was your best friend so it sounds was, like a like a barber shop it, it like was a rod building barber shop it was a very cool place um and he was the guy that kind of taught me all the ins and outs of rod building as far as we were still kind of on the the edge of good rod thread and silk thread so it was not to date myself but we were still using some pretty archaic materials compared to what we have now. That's crazy to think that 2004 would be archaic. Well, it, there was not a lot of technology. I mean, the the real technology was starting, you know, with St. Croix building the SC4s and the Legend tournaments, 
and then it started going on and really expanding into lighter and higher end materials for a better price. Sure, sure. Um, so then in fast forward to 2010 is when I started tuned up um, with my business partner Adam, and it was kind of a family deal at that point. It was and just you guys started pretty small. It was just us. It was two guys and you know a couple family members that would help out once in a while, and there was nobody else. Um, we built them in my basement. Uh, I still want to find pictures of that. We have a lot. We have a lot of pictures. We we need to see those pictures. Yeah, there was a lot of pictures. We we had the capacity to finish four rods at a time. If that, if anyone could think, imagine producing fifty rods. It takes you ten, twelve days to finish fifty rods. That's a a very huge task to make a two hundred rod order. Um, How many rods were you making when you started? Like two a week. Two two rods a week. Okay. It, it was very slow. Um, we started off in open water. And that's you? That's where my, my heart lies as far as building is open water, ice rod. I'm much better at it as far as constructing the blanks. We started off building with existing designs. We weren't happy with them. So we kind of moved on and tried to build our own designs and found some very good companies along the way to really take the next step as far as a rod builder. And this is with the ice rods. Yes. Create our own ice rods. Yeah. Um, And there's a lot of people that helped us out along the way of, you know, creating a split grip, creating a different type of handle, um, using REC recoil guides, which arguably are the best guides still for ice rods. Oh yeah. Um, And then 10 years of doing this, um, now I get the honor of being on a podcast and hosting a podcast um, just because it's another outlet for us to tell a story. Well, your, where you guys started in 2010 to where Tuned Up Custom Rods is today is, uh, I mean, it's it, they don't even look like they are related to each other. No, and it, it's not, I mean, at first we were, it was per order, per person. We were ordering, and we had no stock rods. Where they were produced in my basement, our warehouse was my second level of my house. <laughs> our office was a spare bedroom. My wife did everything at that time as far as books, shipping, anything you could think of. Um, and until it got to be a point where my house was a store, mm-hmm. um, she didn't like when there was you know, 15 people in my house every single night <laughs> for... December. I'm sure your neighbors thought there might have been something weird going yeah, on, too. I think everyone thought there was something weird going on. Um, and we actually kind of stumbled upon our first shop. Uh, it's It was about a block away from my house. And it was, was one that of, not Is that different from the one that I saw? The, it was the original shop. It was the original, like, basement of a chiropractor. But is that the one that I went to the first time? It was like that two-story building? Yeah, it was, it was, okay. a, it was kind of a, a dump. Yeah. A little bit of it. It used to rain inside the building. That's why we had to move. Um, and no joke, it it was because the, the roof was plugged. It started raining inside. So we had to move all our upstairs office space to the downstairs so it didn't rain inside the building. Yeah. That was, a, I mean, it was a functional place. Yeah. It was, it was just small. It was, there was, yeah. it was basically a chiropractor office. And you all grew it, I mean, pretty quick. How long were you there? Two or three years. Wait, so let's go back. You said your wife helped you with all this stuff? My wife used to help us with all of the books and shipping. So explain why your wife was involved, because it has something to do with Adam. Well, yeah. My wife is 
brother, brother and sister. My business partner is my brother in law. Yes, yes. So it's a, it's a, fa- it's, it's a, a family tr- business. Truly a family business. Yeah. I think that, I think that adds a lot of, uh, niche to the business. I think it yeah. makes the business interesting. It's, it's, there's a reason for it. There is a reason the two of you got together. You weren't just someone answering an ad in the paper saying, no. I can build rods too. No, we were, you know, it was more organic. Yeah, he was the sales side of things. He's very good at, he's very, very good at selling. Mm-hmm. Um, that's his niche, and I'm very good at making, which makes a really good partnership. He can sell what I can make. Yep. Um, the design aspect that's, you know, that's been both of us over the years. Each one of us has credit to one of the rods. Um, but we've built, you know, 12 models of rods now. Yeah. We have a whole lineup. Uh, we've built models that have went through a couple of years and then, that style of fishing dies off Mm -hmm. Um, and certain years when Lake Superior freezes over hard. Well, we sell a lot of Laker rods to that market and yeah. So Dan, I gotta, you gotta tell your story too. How'd you get hooked up with tuned up? Uh, by your business partner selling me, he sold me. No, so I, my name's Dan, uh, Dan Baker. I'm, uh, a teacher by trade. That's my, my day job. I've been teaching for 17 years now. Um, and when I grew up, I grew up in Brooklyn Park. I'm a family of four boys, and we lived on a pond. And we would go out in the backyard, and we'd fish in the back of our pond all the time. And fishing wasn't it wasn't like a passion for any of us. It was just something that we did for fun every now and again. And we didn't care if we caught. We didn't care what we caught. In fact, when we caught stuff, we didn't really even know what we caught. It was a lot of bullheads, a lot of bullheads. That's how everyone grows up, though. It's it's the we all kind of forget that I caught my first bullhead in like fifteen years last week. <laughs> I, I hadn't even seen one since there used to be everywhere. There used to be well, everywhere, but then we also all fished ditch ponds when we yeah. were kids. So yeah. go fish ditch ponds. You probably I'll start probably catching find more bullheads. Bullheads. Yeah. Uh, so going from there, um, my dad loves to fish. He used to take us fishing quite a bit. Uh, kind of ironic, my dad's allergic to fish, so I never grew up eating him. And to this day, I have no interest in eating any fish. Love to catch him, don't like to eat him. That's, so, that's a new idea for a podcast, you eating fish on the show and... Seeing if, you're, yeah, seeing if you're allergic or not. I, I will eat it. It just is, it was, it is the very last choice that I would make for food. It's not what I want to eat. So anyone who wants to share a secret fishing spot, I'm the safest person to share it with because I will catch the fish and put them right back in the water for you. I'm never going to eat your fish. I am the exact opposite. Yeah, don't I, I, I love eating fish. I eat crappies, walleyes, bluegills. I don't eat bass or northerns now, but that's... Yeah, uh, yeah I have no interest in that. So then going from uh, just, you know, going fishing as family, uh, when when I was in high school, my dad got a boat. It was our first boat that we had as a family. And it was a, it was a 1994, no, 19, excuse me, 1985 Four Winds. So it was a, it was a, a runabout, a bow rider. And we'd take that thing out to Lake Minnetonka and him and I would go out late at night, like 11 o'clock at night, we'd go fishing and we'd just troll and catch slop garbage fish basically but it was fun it was and i got interested i got hooked on it and then um that boat didn't last super long and then i went off to college and kind of took a little break from fishing and when i got back from college and got uh got married i started to get more interested in it and uh and my brother i have my youngest brother worked with 
your brother-in-law, Adam. He worked with him at, uh, at another company and he was always telling me about, oh yeah, I've got a, I got a friend who's, who owns this ice fishing rod company. They're like super great rods. And I was like, well, okay, I'll, you know, someday maybe, maybe. And then finally I got to the point where I thought, you know, I'm, I want to go ice fishing. I had some friends that, that I taught with who went ice fishing and they took me out. And I remember I knew I was going to go out pan fishing with them on Pelican Lake. Do you remember when Pelican and in Monticello was like the lake. It was unbelievably hot. It's, unbelievable. It, it was an epic lake. Epic. And I, I was going out with them and uh, I went to Fleet Farm and I bought a rod and I was so proud of this rod. I, I was like, ah, oh, I got the best rod. And I got out to the lake and they looked at me like, what were you thinking? So to go crappie fishing, I bought a, a 30 inch medium heavy alt, ugly stick. You couldn't feel anything I, on that. It, it, was, it was the... It was the worst choice I could have made. But in my mind, I got the biggest rod I could get. And that meant it was good. Yeah, so that's not, not the way this... Turns out that's <laughs> not how it works. No, yeah. not at all. I learned that real quick when I was sitting next to them. In, there was three of us sitting in a two-man fray bill. And the two of them on both sides... I was in the middle. The two on both sides of me were just picking, picking and crappies you're, you're up. And you're not small guys either. No, no. This, oh, no. It was tight. solid. You're, yeah. you're in there. We were in there. And... Three holes, and there was maybe six inches of ice between the holes. I mean, we were tight, and I couldn't catch a fish, and they were just pounding. And I'm like, "This, there's something wrong here. And after going out with them a few times and finding out what a spring bobber was and then actually getting some success, I started to think maybe I wanted to do some more fishing. So I talked to my brother and, and had a conversation with Adam and wound up meeting uh, Adam at the ice show, the St. Paul Ice Show. And that must have been... Were we on the main floor at that time? You were on time? the main floor. Because we used to be up in the boondocks with Striker Ice when we both first started this. No, you were on the main journey. floor, and you were the booth is almost where it was now, but it was uh, it was facing towards where all the where all the ice castles are. You know what I'm okay. talking about? T- facing towards the back room. Yep. And it was just a rectangle booth. It was a smaller booth. Okay. So you didn't did we have... Ha- we, did we have the... Uh, uh, for tracked machine in there at that year? No, no. Okay. You just had you just had the tall ice rod cases, and I had my son with who was well, maybe four at the time. Yeah, and Devin he, was pretty young, yeah. and he was touching the rods. And Adam's like, don't don't let him do that. Well, the, the, if everyone knows, those ice shows are terrifying for rod builders because yeah. uh, if we've had this happen a couple times, is people walk into the rod racks and they dump out. 80 rods yeah. in one second and they're everywhere yeah yep. so it's it's terrifying for us once and you're while. so crowded in there it's be so easy to step on a rod and i told adam what i wanted and we had talked about how um you know i like to go walleye fishing at that time my brother my older brother had set up a, a yearly ice fishing trip up to red lake and so i knew i wanted a walleye stick but one that i could still pan fish with if i needed to and he set me up with a, a precision so that's, that's the best. We always say it's the best universal rod you can you can buy. It is the most versatile rod for sure. So I picked up that precision, and I was. I mean, I could not have been more proud of that thing. He gave uh, my son a, a hat, which I was immediately put on my head because his head was too small. Um, I love that rod. I took that rod home and I showed it to my buddies who had been fishing with, and I was like, "Guys, you you have no idea!" And immediately broke it immediately i <laughs> now, now dan you, you're kind of you're, you're a little notorious for breaking there, stuff there's been there's been a times 
in my past where rods had broke, and it was my fault, and this one was my fault too, and I never tried to claim it wasn't my fault, but oh gosh, that day that that thing broke, I was, we were out on Buffalo Lake, and it was deep snow, but it wasn't early, it wasn't late enough to drive, and it was a year where there was a lot of slush on the lake, and we were pulling our, our sleds out to this this hole that we and, were going to... And you were probably not pulling them with a snowmobile. You were pulling... Oh, like we were pulling. Physically yeah, pulling Yes, them. and it was deep, and it was it was one of those deals where you'd feel like it was the most exercise you could possibly get. It's where you're, you're winded beyond what you could... Yes. Your body should be winded. Yes, and I, and I was looking at my phone at the Navionics app thinking, I just got to get another 100 yards, and then also thinking, I don't think I'm going to get another 100 yards. Uh, <laughs> so we stopped, and I drilled a couple holes, and I fished a little bit, and I couldn't catch anything. And, and then I thought, okay, well, we're going to move to another spot. I'm going to do it quick. I don't have to worry about it. So I just put my rod on my sled... I didn't put it in the case, and then uh, got to the next spot, got everything set up, and uh, got got fishing, and I got a bite, and I went to set the hook, and the tip just folded over. Just, it was gone. There was no tip. And I looked at that thing, and my buddy was sitting next to me, uh, <laughs> um, and he looked at me, and we both knew what happened, and I thought, oh my gosh, what did you, what did you do? It was a, It was a bad thing. And I brought it back. I came to your shop. That was the first time I met you. Okay. So I came to your shop, the the old one, and I and I brought it in and I said, honestly, I have no idea why this happened. I said, I don't know what happened. And you looked at it. You looked at it for maybe a half a second. You said, you burnt it. You burnt the tip. And I said, burnt the tip? How could I have burnt the tip? He goes, well, did you have a heater in your shack? I said, yeah, but it was never near that. He goes, what kind of auger do you run? I said, strike master. He goes, yeah, you touch the, you touch the exhaust with the strike. Yeah, because you can tell the, the what the carbon fiber does is it's kind of ripply. And so then immediately I'm back on the ice. I'm looking, I'm, I'm seeing myself put my rod on my sled, thinking it's just going to be a quick jaunt over to the next spot. And, and then I knew for exactly, I put it right on the exhaust after running that auger and it just changed the fiber. You couldn't see it. You couldn't see it until until it broke. Yeah, you can. It looked like a totally normal rod. You can heat it up, but you'll see the kind of the coils of the carbon fiber turn a little white, and it's the kiss of death for Ugh. our rods. It's. And I was so sad because I I I mean, a tuned up rod is an investment. You know, it's not something that you that you just buy on a whim, especially not the first one. No, no. They're, I mean, their expensive equipment is yeah. something that you should consciously buy yeah thinking you're gonna it's gonna last and it should last and i knew that getting a new one was not going to be easy but i brought it up to the shop because i thought let's see what happens and, and you said oh this is yeah we can fix this well i'll just glue a new tip top on yeah and you did it while i was standing there and i thought oh my gosh you that was so easy and you didn't even charge me no and that's what we've been I mean, at least the shop's been known for is that higher aspect of customer service that brings people back. And yep, you just ended up buying so many rods you had to start working for us. <laughs> well, I said to Adam that night at the shop, I said, I think that we need to find a way for me to have something to do with this company because I'm probably going to buy a lot of these. So then you hired me on. And I started started with wrapping rods, and I did that for, I don't know, a, a year and a half maybe. Somewhere yeah, something like that. It was It wasn't a super long time. No, it wasn't forever. Um, and you know, I didn't make a secret about the fact that 
I wanted to be in the building because I wanted to be part of the part of the company. I didn't want I didn't I wasn't looking for a job to because I wanted the money. I wanted to be part of tuned up custom rods. We, we right. know that because you you know because I've lost money working yeah, here. It's, it's been a financial disaster. For it me. is the the part time job that you just throw money at because you're like oh look at this cool new thing. I mean we still have the what I always envision is the old time store is yeah, where the every, company store yeah everybody loves working there because it's fun um and i think that's why we kind of wanted to have a podcast is yeah to, talk about it to talk about the fun and talk about all the other stuff that there's the shop talk that goes yeah. on here and that's what it was i used to tell my wife i was going to go to fantasy camp every day i come in and we'd just we'd come in and talk about fishing talk about whatever and it was just uh it was so nice to be part of it and and especially to be a part of a company that made its products that are exceptional and that has a reputational that is exceptional. Um, I, that was really important to me because there's not a lot of custom ice rod builders, or at least at the time there wasn't. And, you know, it was not something that not, not all the companies had the same reputation. And I definitely wanted to be part of one that I felt good about being at and the one that I could tell my friends about. And, you know, for as many rods as I've broken and, and, and bought myself, I've got buddies that have bought, uh, you know, dozens and dozens more and it's been, it's been great. So now I go fishing and, and everyone I'm in the house with has a tuned up rod. Everyone's wearing a tuned up shirt and it's, it's great to be able to bring that to, to people I, I'm interested in being with and, and feel comfortable and feel good about promoting it because it's, they are exceptional. Well, and the tuned up custom rods name, we were Adam and I were car guys originally. I'm, I'm still kind of a car guy and going through a new restoration of a car currently. Um, so it's kind of one of those things we, it's when you tune up your car, you kind of make it bring it to the next level. And that's what we felt we brought the level of ice rods to a whole nother level as far as quality goes and consistency mm-hmm. and customer service. And it, it's like anything. I mean, it takes years. I mean, people don't realize I've been at this for 10 years in this company. Yeah. I built my first noodle in 2006. Um, one of our big testing sites where my parents' cabin, mm-hmm. um, my brother and I would fish our noodle rod in a basin bite and just kill people. I mean, we'd sit around with people watching us putting on a <laughs> clinic. I remember we had one weekend where a guy just asked to sit next to me just and to see what, you're what, doing. what I was doing. And, and we were fishing it's about 30 feet of water and you jig down to 27 and then make two three cranks up to 24 feet and these fish would come screaming up and just tap it but you'd never see them pull down and and i just say watch watch the noodle rod tip yeah they'd watch it and they're like i can't pull i i need this i mean and we were selling rods on the ice like we would just sell them the combo and they they would just hand me a hundred dollar bill and say i'm taking this and they'd walk (laughs) over and start catching fish and it was yeah then I was like, I, I have something special. I should do this more. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my brother's actually one who tested still today, this day as one of the biggest fish on one of our original noodle rods. He caught a 39-inch pike in five feet of water on two-pound line. Fought it for <laughs> that a, would, a legit half hour. At least, yeah. And right? it was one of those things where, you know, by the time you're, you're done fighting it, the house is up, the heater's off, there's a crowd around you because <laughs> yeah. everyone wants to see this fish. Yeah. And I had taken off my jacket. I'm down to just a, a T-shirt because it's, it's, it was late March. Yeah. And I reached underneath the ice, and I'm, I'm feeling around for it, feeling around for it, and finally gilded it underneath the ice. I mean, the ice is probably two and a half feet thick still. 
pull it up and pull this this it, it looked so big when you pulled it up through the oh, and I mean a 39 cheering. inch pike is big. Oh yeah, and it was full of spawn. I mean it's it's as far as a pike goes, you can't get anything bigger than that time of year. Yeah. And that fish was magical to watch that crowd and people are like, "Oh my gosh, I need that rod." You know, it handles little fish and big fish. Um, and I think that was the thing like we really have something with the first kind of custom rod that we built and those were back in that day where it was a one-off build we hand sanded the blank it took mm-hmm. us you know 10 hours to build one rod yep um we don't do that anymore because it's you know it's first of all because you've not, got the design down now yeah it's not cost effective and it's not consistent so yeah just because your rod would have been awesome back in the day the next one doesn't turn out at all like that yeah and it wasn't we weren't kicking out a consistent product yeah yeah well you had said that you're kind of an open water guy at heart and I'm kind of the same way, you know, the open water fishing is, I I love ice fishing, but I really love open water fishing. And I love the tuned up open water lineup a lot. I mean, I use them. I I think they're amazing, outstanding rods, but I've told you before that going to an off the shelf ice rod, comparing an off the shelf ice rod to a custom rod is like a quantum leap. It is. It's not, it's. They're not similar. No, people, I always tell people, like, the whole design we take, and this is why I think ice fishing rods have taken such a leap, and I know we're kind of getting off topic a little bit of just an introduction, but the ice rod, we took a, basically our precision, we took a 6.8 jigging rod <coughs> and made it into a 32-inch rod. Yeah. It feels like a fast rod. Yeah. It's got a great taper. It's got a great backbone. And people, once you start fishing with that level of a rod, people are like, I can't believe how nice this is. Yeah. It, it, there's, there's no way to compare it unless you've tried it. And that's something that is hard for, for someone who has not used a custom rod before. And that's one of the things that I actually really liked about Tuned Up is that we have a storefront. We have a building. Come, come see it. You can come in, and we'll we'll let you see the build process. We'll let you handle the rod. We'll let you see what it's about before you have to pay for it. Which is, I mean, it in, until you have actually handled one, it is hard to understand why they're expensive and why they're better. Yeah, it's it's a it's a night and day thing you where know, people don't realize how much goes into one, how much development. Yeah. I mean, People always talk about it's like, oh, you must develop 100 rods a year. It's like, well, we probably develop 10 to 15 new designs, but one sticks yep. every other year. It's not it's not like we, you know, you, you make 10 new models and all of them are gold. It's the bullwhip took a long time to make, and the bullwhip was one of those kind of gems as far as one of it's, the most versatile rods. The bullwhip is ever. by far my favorite rod that we make. Absolutely my favorite. And I, you know, when I bought my original Precision from Adam, I I wanted one to go walleye fishing, but I spend 99% of my time ice fishing in the metro, crappie fishing. There are no walleyes in the metro. Wait. 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 (laughs) There might be, but anyways. So a bullwhip, you know, being able to take that out and consistently have the ability to see the bites that no one else can see, it just, it's like cheating. It's, It's like you have some sort of a cheat code put into your rod 
that until you until you see it or until you're experiencing it, you can't understand it. Like you like the old timers that you saw on the ice, the, they literally couldn't understand what you were doing until they did it. And the problem with those old timers on the ice are sitting next to me, and I felt kind of bad because I limited out so quickly. Yeah. Um, and this was, you know, I mean, this is back in 06, 07. So we're fishing in a pretty remote, I mean, it's not real remote lake, but it's not, there's not a lot of people on the lake. There's probably 10 guys and they're all just standing around watching you yeah. pull fish after fish five feet away. Yeah. And I'm like, there's fish down there. He's like, yeah, I just can't see them. I'm like, just set the hook. They're on your jig. It was just, they were so light biting and such an upbite that you could not feel any of them. And now with how popular the sport's gotten and how much more, um, how many more people there are on the ice every year, you need to have that, that level of sensitivity because the fish have gotten conditioned. Well, when I first started in this industry, um, I worked at Fleet Farm, we're going to say way back in the day when I was in high school. I saw all the new stuff. I mean, we, we started off with Eskimos were green with bench seats and that was like <laughs> the cool thing. And they yeah. were like 200 bucks and everybody bought one. There was no quilted fabric. There was, was no, were the otters purple still. The otters were, I think the otters were, yeah, they were purple, yeah. but they were canvas and they weighed a ton. Mm-hmm. So the whole industry has changed dramatically. The electronics. I mean, I, I started out on a, a Hondex 8. People are like, what's that? I'm like, well, I, I got it from an old friend who, you know, used to fish with Dave Gens back when Dave Gens wasn't a big a big deal um, compared to what he used to be. I mean, he, he was just a guy. He, yeah. Him and uh, uh, the Grizz. The Grizz, the Grizz used to, they all fished out of these these huts and had Mickey Mouse boots. And yeah. There was no, I mean, everybody wore camel. You just wore what you went deer hunting to go ice fishing. The whole sport really has revolutionized changed and changed so much. I, if my flasher runs out of batteries, I go home. Uh, I have fished without a flasher once in my life now. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it is terrible. It's not worth it. No. It's, it's, it, it sucks. It puts you back into the old days. Yeah. When I, I can remember one of my very first ice fishing memories, I, I fished with my uncle, my dad, and my cousin on Mille Lacs, that we had no flashers. We ate hot dogs and beans like for three days straight mm-hmm. and we caught eel pouts. That's yeah. all we caught were yeah. just disgusting eel pouts. Yeah. And there was no, like, moving. There was no, I mean, we just had bobbers, and it was boring as all. And that's what ice fishing was to me when I was a kid. We would, as Boy Scouts, go to an ice fishing tournament every year on Glenwood Lake. Maybe it wasn't Glenwood Lake. It was in the town of Glenwood. Maybe it was Glenwood Lake. Um, and we would, uh, we'd go out there, and we'd drill a hole, and we'd stand there, and we'd put on a... Uh, um, an atom bomb and, and just set the hook foot off the bottom and just sit there and watch the bobber. But that's what we all That's what it to. was. I remember one of my first memories with my dad fishing. We took one of the blue Mora hand augers in the middle of March to go perch fishing. He drilled two holes. I thought he was going to die. <laughs> and then I have that same memory. Proceeded to uh, put the cover on and slice his finger almost off. <laughs> I, I remember this very vividly because I'm like, Dad, the I mean, I was very young, probably 12. I remember yeah. reading the blades are very sharp. My like, dad, the blades are very sharp. We well, cut his finger and he's gushing blood. And I'm like, why, what is like, why are we doing this? Yes. But we caught what well, to me, they were giant 10 inch perch for hours. Yeah. But we had no house. We sat on the back of the pickup truck. Yep. 
And thinking back of like, if it wasn't 30 degrees out, I would have been miserable as a kid. Yeah. Um, I only bring my kid out when it's kind of fair weather. It makes it a lot more enjoyable for him. And I think what people need to remember, don't, don't bring your kid out for 10 hours. That's the hard thing. You know, you, you want to go out and you want to catch fish. You want to put in the time and the effort, but if you want to have your, your kids like it, they have to have a likable experience. Yeah, they're the future of the sport. My my kid now, I mean, he'll sit out there for three, four hours, but we still have to have snacks. Yep. He still has to have an enjoyable experience. Yeah. And he has to have an ice scoop in his hand so he can chip at the ice for two hours. Yeah. My kid likes to play with the camera. He just wants to raise it up and down and... Drop it in the mud. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, weird things happen. Yeah. <laughs> but on this podcast, we're going to talk about... We're not going to just talk about ice fishing the whole time. No. We're, we're going to try to dip on a bunch of topics because... I'm kind of a true sportsman at heart. I love all the different sports, shooting sports, hunting, um, fishing, both fly, ice, blue water, brackish water. I've done a lot of different fishings. I mean, we, we've done, I've been out all over. I've fished in Washington. I've fished in Maine. I've fished a little bit everywhere. Um, you, you are very extensive in that, Yeah, but you're my gun guy. Yeah. You're my gun guy. And when I, I, and I've needed you. You've, you've helped me out. You've built my AR. You built the upper for my 300 blackout. Yeah, I, I like to dabble in guns. I, I you've, just... repaired my, you've repaired several of my guns. Yeah, we're going to talk about all that stuff. So this podcast isn't just going to be limited to a, a little bit of stuff. It's going to be kind of a very broad range. Outdoors. Outdoors. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be good. Cool. Well, this has been... The first episode, episode one of Iceman, a podcast presented by Tuned Up Custom Rods. We're going to put out one of these every single week. We hope you tune in. We hope you find us every week. Make sure that you follow us. We're going to have our Instagram and our Facebook page. Follow us so you can find out every time we post a new episode. And we can't wait to take this journey with you. Absolutely. Oh, we didn't even talk about how we're going to have special guests. Oh, we kind of forgot about that. We I just mean, got so we got, excited. We got, I got lost in your eyes, and we <laughs> talked about fishing, and, and, I, and I forgot all about the fact that we're going to bring some people in here. Yes, we have a pretty good guest list. Um, and if you're one of the people that are like, hey, I want to be, I want to hang out at the shop for a night, um, shoot us an email, send us a message on uh, the website, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Yeah, we want to talk to people. And this is not an interview show. That's no. not our goal. Our no. goal is to just talk. We want to talk yeah. about fishing. We want to talk about outdoors. We want to just talk. So, yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. We'd love to have you as guests. But do look forward to seeing some some people who you've heard of before uh, sitting at our table talking about talking about fishing, talking about hunting, talking about outdoor stuff. All right. That's it. Signing off. Signing off. Have a good night, guys. Bye.